Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode right here on the Cathedral Sport Podcast. Look, folks, the show was meant to have been recorded and published already, but I didn't feel that great last night. So we've put it back 24 hours. But I'm here now, so fear not, folks. Fear not. Right, this episode is being hosted by just me, Ash. No bulb yet again, folks. I'm hearing from the man himself that he pulled a calf muscle celebrating Scotland's penalty shootout win last night. Not for the first time, guys, and I, I told you, that man is capable of absolutely anything. So what have I got in store for you tonight? Well, without further ado, I'm delighted to tell you that I'm being joined on the show this evening by none other than Darren Potts of the Pottscast podcast. That's a bit of a tongue twister for you there. And we're going to have a chat about the recent internationals. And also Darren has come on to talk about his love for Crusaders Football Club. Darren, how are you, mate, since the last time we spoke on your own podcast for the Premier League season review? Or preview, sorry. Thanks for having me on the pod, or in the podcast, Ash. It's my absolute pleasure to join you on Cathedral of Sport. I have been a fan listening, so it's been nice to be invited on just to, to chat. Um, I wish I was in the same boat as Bob. I wish I was up cheering Northern Ireland qualifying, but sadly, I was not. And um, But other than that, I'm pretty good. Pretty good and glad to be on the show. So thanks again for the invite. Yeah, not a problem at all, mate. I'm glad to have you on. Talking about... <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna head straight into that. Actually, we're gonna we're gonna talk about last night's internationals, um, the road to Euro twenty twenty, well Euro twenty twenty one, so to speak. Now, but um, as you just mentioned, we we might as well just just start with Northern Ireland, mate, and get it get it out of the way quickly. What happened? Absolutely gutting. I'm, I'm gutted for Carl Lafferty as well because of the circumstances he was under. Um, condolences to to the Lafferty family there. Uh, big fan of the guy from when he was a, a Hearts player. Um, so it's even, you know, it's double gutting, so to speak, um, for Carl Lafferty and for for Northern Ireland because I honestly thought that Slovakia at home, I thought, yeah, uh, they could be. And maybe if the maybe if the fans are in Windsor Park, it would have been a completely different story, mate. It's a difficult one. Um, again, just to reiterate what you said about Kyle Lafferty and his family and condolences at this time, absolutely, absolutely agree with you. It's it's a very, very sad time for his family and him, of course. And I think he deserves a bit of um, a pat in the back for even coming and taking the field, you know, after after you know what happened. But to to go to on field incidents, it's frustrating and it's it it is gutting, it's disappointing. But at the same time, we haven't really done ourselves much credit in recent international competitive games anyway. We got ourselves into the playoffs through the back door. A little bit, you know, of a technicality got us into a playoff, a good performance away at Bosnia. Because we're at home, because it was a playoff match, because it was a team which we felt we had a chance against in that side of in that side of the coin, it is gutting and it is frustrating, but if we go into this in a bit more detail, perhaps, you know, I look at some of their players, you know, huge experience in Marek Hamsik. There's other players in that team. One of the guys is at Napoli. They have another guy playing the Bundesliga with Cologne and on and on it goes. We look at our team and a lot of our players don't even play at club level. They're subs or they're not really making the squad. So I feel like Michael O'Neill squeezed everything out of that squad. You know, we got, as much as he could out of it. And 
it's maybe, I wouldn't say an end of an era, but it's definitely a rebuilding stage. And I feel like that was the way that the Northern Ireland Association felt when they appointed Ian Barclough, you know, who done reasonably well with the under-21s. I think they felt that might be time to start bringing in some youngsters. So it's a bit of a change in time period for Northern Ireland. But to go right back to what what you said in terms of last night, it, it's frustrating in my opinion because it was a home game. And usually we're quite good at home or we can at least give teams games at home. And we gave them a game last night. But the unfortunate thing for me is it was two mistakes that cost us. It wasn't, you know, a, an outrageously good passage of play or anything like that. See, I was saying to my message last night, I was, um, she sat beside me, I was watching the England game. And uh, I said to her, I was checking the scores, I had the scores up on my phone next to me as well. So I said to her, I said, when's the last time Northern Ireland won a game? Because... They were they were in such great form in the last you know few years, like reaching a major tournament and and stuff like that. And I was just thinking, what's gone wrong there? But as you've you've perfectly explained it, end of an era, rebuilding starts now. Every international team, every club team goes through that, mate. Um, as Gary Neville said about Man United, it all goes in cycles. Football goes in cycles. I'm a firm believer in that. So as well. So look, I'm I'm, I'm sure Northern Ireland will bounce back and be at the top table again, so to speak. Um, England beating Ireland last night, three goals to nil, really routine win. Um, England have got ridiculous depth in that squad now. It's probably the best England well, England squad that I've seen because if you think back in the day, if Skulls got injured or Gerrard got injured, you think, who'd you put in there? That's That's up to that level. But now if someone gets injured in the England squad, you know, right back or left back or centre mid or up front. You know, there's always there's always someone to step in that can fill their boots straight away. I, I mean, I'm I'm really excited to be in. It's not faux optimism anymore. It's actual genuine optimism. Like I said, in a in a previous show before, um, Scotland, Darren, congratulations to them. First time in 22 years, pal. Absolutely tremendous. Um, I'm a huge advocate of. I want all the home nations to qualify, and that includes the Republic of Ireland. Um, for example, you know, I'd rather see at a major tournament England versus Scotland and Wales versus Ireland and et cetera than I would rather sit and watch England versus Serbia, you know, if I can use that as an example. And yeah. phenomenal, phenomenal achievement for Scotland, for Steve Clark. Um, I know obviously there were some of the recent fixtures that maybe didn't go the way that perhaps they wanted. There was injuries, there was people pulling out, there was COVID stuff, there's all the stuff around Kieran Tierney the, on the last international call up. And I just think you have to sit back and go, you know what, fair play and congratulations and go and enjoy it. And the only thing that I'm worried, not so much worried about, the only thing that I'm maybe a bit down about is the fact that the Scottish fans may not get the opportunity to go and enjoy being at a major tournament. And that for me is the sad, sad fact is I'm a huge advocate of football is about the fans. And when you take the fans out of football, it's hard to really care too much. And, you know, and that's that's even goes back to last night's game for Northern Ireland, you know, a packed Windsor Park and everyone's up for it to an empty Windsor Park. And it's just not the same. And that's where I feel that it's a bit unfortunate for Scotland. Their amazing achievement. And I feel very, very sorry for their fans that they might not, and I would say likely won't be able to attend given the current circumstances. And that for me is the most gut-wrenching part about it. Oh, totally. Um Look, I'm, I'm an Englishman, guys, as you know. Um, I live in Scotland, but I, I am English at the end of the day. There is that rivalry between England and Scotland, always has been, always will be, um, especially for more, I'd say more from the Scottish guy, 
Scottish guys I know, you know, their father, it's all generational that from their father told them to, you know, England's the rival, their father's father, their father's father. Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's been, it's been, um, it's, it's rolled down in generations to, to hate England, not the English, but the England football team anyway. And the, the rivalries are sort of ramped up a bit, um, especially with social media and stuff like that now where, you know, people can constantly get at each other and wind each other up. But look, as an English, as an Englishman, I, I want the Tartan army to be there. I want them down at Trafalgar Square pouring fairy liquid into the fountain to make it all foam up. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And yeah. uh, I've read something on Twitter earlier about, you know, there's Scotland fans could take up to a million people down and head for London that day. This is how big it is. 22 years inaccessible for everybody as well. It's a train journey. It's a bus journey. It's a coach journey. It, in, in international terms, it's not far. It's just down the road. So, yeah, let's let's hope. Let's fingers crossed that that fans are allowed back in by when the tournament starts and we can have a full house at Wembley for the oldest rivalry in international football. And I would maybe Germany, Holland, Brazil, Argentina. I don't know. Maybe it is the biggest rivalry in international football um, and, and always has been. Um, Darren, forget international football. We'll cast that aside, mate. I know uh, probably still hurting over last night, so we're not going to talk about it too much. We're going to we're going to talk club football. Um, I've got you on the show for a reason, um, as a, as part of our fan guest feature, really. But I just thought we'd add that bit in at the start. Um, you're a Crusaders fan, Darren. How did you know? You're from. I take it you're from Belfast, then. I'm just outside Belfast. Grew up all my life, and there's actually a, a, the t- they're in the Premier League now. A team called Carrick Rangers. It's about 20 minutes outside Belfast is where I grew up. Um, my grandfather, who's from an area called Rathcoole, it's a big housing area about 10 minutes away from the Crusaders Stadium. Um, my grandfather was Crusaders fan, and when I was a really really young kid, that I can vaguely remember. All I remember is the very smoky terrace standing stadium, old fashioned ground. My granda took me there, and um, from there, I always had a bit of a memory of Seaview. But I wasn't really. I was a bit older, was playing football myself, and just wasn't enjoying it. And thought I just wasn't enjoying playing. Wasn't enjoying watching. TV and watching the big clubs in England, I felt I couldn't relate to it. And for me, I was like, I'm just going to go back to supporting my local team and just went up, went up, watched the Crusaders game and was sort of hooked from there, bumped into a few people that I knew and just began to hang around with them, get to the games. And that's sort of how it began. I wouldn't say began again because I was so young, I couldn't really even remember. But um, it it really just sort of took over from there, being like, this this is what I love. I love local football. I love football I can relate to. I love old-fashioned, hard-tackling, high-pressure, high-intensity football. And that was really where I, I got started again, back into the, sort of the Irish League scene with Crusaders. Brilliant, mate. Um Crusaders, from for my ge- geographical knowledge, sort of, is it is it in North Belfast around that sort of area? Yep, you're right. It's in North Belfast on the Shore Road. It's technically it is part of the city, but it's just on the outskirts of before you hit the downtown city centre area. Um, and we're just down the road from our nearest and dearest because we do love playing them on Boxing Day and the Derby times of the year. Cliftonville are just up the road, so. Um, yep, North Belfast, and 
what I do love about the club and and I'm assuming, you know, this is sort of what we're wanting to go into. There's a lot of local supporters and local people and local businesses that support the club and whatnot. And that's something which I, I love about about local football. Yeah, I've, I noticed um, in Northern Ireland, they really get behind their local teams. And look, to be fair, if you're from Belfast, you've got you've got tons of teams to, to pick from. Um, so, yeah, I was going <laughs> to... You've already, you've already answered my question, actually. I was going to ask about who your worst rivals are. And because I'm thinking, because so many clubs in... In Belfast, what are the right? I know, I know the Linfield Glens one. I know uh, Glen Torren that is. Um, Linfield and Glen Torren got a big rivalry. I never knew who Cliftonville's rivals ever were, but now you've you've answered that question for me. Yep. Is that rivalry purely geographic? Now I, sh- I, I, I sort of thinking to myself here. Like, I'm going to shy away from this question. Should I ask it or should I not? But I'm going to ask it. Um, is is that rivalry? Pu- uh, sorry, purely geographical. Or is there an historical grievance um, sectarian-wise as to why Cliftonville and Crusaders are rivals? If we go back in history, um, you know, the the troubles in Northern Ireland are very, very well documented. And we go back to the 70s, the 80s and all that sort of stuff then. You know, I'd be wrong to say there wasn't sectarian undertones and overtones to every game of football um, between the two clubs. But to both clubs' credit, going forward, it they, we have some of the best relations in the league off off the pitch and off field with Cliftonville in terms of our back, you know, our backroom team, our directors, and all that sort of stuff. On their side, there's a very, very big and a very good and strong cross community platform between both clubs. Um, which is great to see behind the scenes. We all love football rivalry. We all love playing against the team that you dislike the most and our nearest and dearest rivals and all this sort of thing. We all love that. But there is a part of that rivalry which was always sectarian and you may have the odd fan here or there on both sides. I don't think it's anything big anymore. I think a lot of fans would actually sit, would actually turn around and say, hey, don't be doing that. You know, if you did hear a little bit of a, a sectarian chant or sectarian shout and things like that, which is good. And I'm all for sporting rivalry, but when it becomes sectarian for me, that's where I sort of draw the line and went, this isn't about sporting rivalry anymore and it's not right. But to go way back, you know, when we go back to the 70s and 80s, there, there was obviously a sectarian rivalry. There's a geographical rivalry. There was the very famous scene where every time Cliftonville came to Seaview, they had to be police escorted in. They had to be kept... The home fans had to be kept behind until they left and vice versa up at Cliftonville play. And that's that's just life. That's just how it was. That was Belfast in a very rough period in our... Probably the roughest period in Belfast history. But going, going forward in the early um, 2010s, um, Cliftonville broke the big Belfast 2 dominance of winning the league title no more Linfield no more Glen Torn Cliftonville won it back to back Crusaders finishing second to them and then the following two years Crusaders won the league back to back and Cliftonville challenged the first year fell away a bit the second year and Linfield then came back in and it was nice to sort of see Crusaders and Cliftonville challenging each other on the field for honours between being first and second in the league Cliftonville beat us two years in a row in the league cup final um, things like that. Probably the most famous victory in our club's in our club's history was the 2009 Irish Cup final 
where Crusaders beat Cliftonville 1-0. You know, so there is a bit more of an on-the-field rivalry now where both teams are very similarly matched in terms of their players, playing ability, results-wise, and our goals, which is really, really good because it makes the derbies fun because there's, there's skin in the game now. You know, there, it's not just about geographically or past history. It's about, oh, we need to finish above them in the league, you know, and, and that's where, for me as a supporter, it gets a lot more fun as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, when I was over in Northern Ireland, was it last year? Was it a couple of years ago now? I think it's 2018 now. Um, I noticed how, how much progression has been made um, between communities. I noticed it straight away when I was there. Um, you know, it's great to see, uh, you, you, you know, sectarianism is a thing, that, you know, in, in my opinion, should be banished to the archives, so to speak, and um, never be spoken or brought up again. So it's great that the, the communities are coming together and it's all about football now. It's just about what's on the pitch, which is good. Talking about your, your time of success there, Darren. Um, I remember about, oh, it must have been about 10 years ago now, maybe 11. I don't know. Something like that. Uh, Crusaders were in the Europa League and they played Fulham. Yep, that is correct. I have a little joke, you know, about um, the current Crusaders goalkeeper. Um, he played for an All-Ireland select team against Man United as well. And he's had Danny Murphy score past him. He's had Berbatov score past him. He's had Raul Jimenez score past him. It's a bit of a, you know, for someone who plays locally for Crusaders in the Irish League, to, have to be playing against these sort of names and to be like, these guys have scored past me. The, the club's progressed really, really well. But that was under, I think it was Martin Yall's Fulham, if I can remember correctly. John Onorisa, Danny Murphy, Hangeland and all that sort of thing. And yeah, it was a pack sea view. I think it was 2011 or 2012, if my memory serves me right. But yeah, that was that was really when we started progressing well every year and getting Europe every year. And it was one of the first major teams that we drew and we had a lot of fun, um, both going over to Fulham and being hosting Fulham. Stuart Dallas, actually, current Northern Ireland international deeds player, played for us at the time. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to have the, the to even just get Fulham for us, you know, that's for a local Irish league team. And for, for me, in terms of the European draws, I always want a big team. I always like to get, I call it a winnable tie, first of all, you know, give me a little small team from somewhere we have a chance against so we can hopefully get through the round, get some money and then give us a big team in the second round. That's always my hope every year in the European draws. <laughs> Listen, I got a story about that Fulham um, game actually at, at Craven Cottage. Yeah. Now I've got I've got a couple of mates who are big Fulham fans, and uh, they invited me over for the day um, to join them. So they got me a ticket and all sorts. Anyway, I was living in Somerset at the time, so I got a train up in the morning, and I wasn't. We were meant to go out on the piss all day as well, and, and then go and watch the game. And I was meant to get the last train back at night from from Paddington. Anyway, I've got the train up, and I thought. Oh, I don't, a, I should be hungry by now. I don't feel hungry. I don't know why I felt all shivery and I felt cold. I thought, oh, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. So I went to see an old mate first and I went over, headed over to Putney. And uh, as soon as I took the first sip of my beer, my, my, my mate hadn't even turned up yet. I was quite early to get into the pub. And yeah, I had, <laughs> what I found out about 10 minutes later is I had that norovirus, that um, <laughs> sickness and diarrhea bug. And I was, it was just horrendous. 
So I just said to my mate, I said, look, here's the money for the ticket. I said, I can't make the game. He said, why? And I just spewed everywhere. And uh, I had to basically rush back to Paddington and uh, led down on the on the train on the way back, all the way back to Bristol Temple Meads and then on to, on to Somerset because I was that ill. I missed the whole game. So we would we would have been in the same around the same area on the same day, but you would have <laughs> you'd have been, probably been having a jolly. And there's me uh, <laughs> out of both ends. There's me out of both ends, mate. Put it that way. Being being rushed back home. Oh. <laughs> so, but yeah, I was meant to be. I was meant to be there. I was meant to be at the game. I had a ticket and all sorts. Um, if memory serves me correct, I think Fulham won the game at home. I think it was, was it four one or something. Maybe yeah. Something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, three one at Seaview in the first leg, and I think it was four nil on the second leg. And um, we wore our blue with the white and black V on the away kit. <laughs> it's one of my, it's one of the real memories from that from that game. But no, that, that's actually quite funny. I could, I was, I was waiting on the story to be like, you, you only better, you missed all the goals or something like that for being in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, I missed the whole game. I didn't even get anywhere near the ground. I got, yeah, I got to. I went to Weatherspoons as well, just to spew up. And I had to just spewing up everywhere along the way. Uh, honestly, I've never been so sick in my life. I've, I was that ill. I, it was that bad, and um, I just couldn't even make the game. And that's rare for me. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd run for a brick wall to get for a football match nearly, but you know, I just couldn't make it. But as uh, you know, talking back to your childhood memories of Crusaders saying about you going with your granddad and stuff like that is there any player from your childhood memory that sticks out and who is your Crusaders hero so to speak I was so young that it's it's, it's hard to, to sort of think out to, to see someone on the pitch if you know what I mean and someone that really sticks out but always remember my, my granddad was always talking about Glenn Dunlop and any Crusaders fan that has been around a long time when you bring up Glenn Dunlop and stuff like that he's just known as quite possibly one of the greatest players that ever played for us you know what I mean so I was about five the last time I was there with my granddad before he died and um, at that stage my granddad's watching the match the smoke's going everywhere and I'm on the ground with the other kids that are dragged there kicking the ball around in the stand at the back. But Glenn, <laughs> Glenn Dunlop was always the, the one that people talked about during that era. There you go. Um, other teams fans. Now, I know you've got the rivalry with uh, Cliftonville. But I'm going to ask, right? Which fans of another club in Northern Ireland, do you admire the most, not despise the most, admire the most or respect the most or just like the most for their, for their chance or their character or, or whatever, mate, it could be for any reason whatsoever. I honestly, I don't know. Cool <laughs> um, Rain fans in the last number of years have been a fan base that, Coleraine were always sort of a, a good team, but they've started to really progress to win cups, to challenge for cups, to challenge for leagues. And the the fans that have joined them have been tremendous. And the, the numbers that they bring when they're going well is really, really good. And for clubs that survive, you know, knowing Irish football, and I would it's probably it's similar to probably Scottish football, that we can't really survive without our fans. You know, it's not the Premier League, it's not the TV money. It's we need the fans and 
usually you sort of rely on your Linfield and your Glen Torn and your Cliftonvilles and maybe even your Porta Downs and stuff like that to bring the big numbers of fans. It's nice for those. I call them country teams. You know, they're a bit out. They're a good bit outside Belfast. A good hour away, or hour and fifteen, hour and twenty minutes away. And for us in Northern Ireland, that's a big deal. <laughs> and for these guys to start bringing big numbers, it's great for all the other clubs. And if it's a good thing, Northern Irish football is a very good local football anyway. Is a very good place. Um, going into the split before COVID, um, there were four teams within two points of third and that last European spot before the season got cancelled, which would have meant all those post-split games would have been a cup final. There would have been huge numbers of fans turning out. The percentage of fans coming to games is going up, which is great news for local, local clubs because that is your bread and butter. But the Coleraine fans in the last number of years, they've, they've impressed me um, just in terms of how many are coming out and travelling because that is a that's a big issue in Northern Ireland that shouldn't be an issue but it is that people don't like to travel very far and um, if you if a if a match is 40 minutes away or 50 minutes away sometimes you'll have a crowd of fans complaining or saying they're not going it's too far you know silly things like that but Coleraine who are travelling down to Belfast maybe about an hour an hour and a half you know where they're coming out in their numbers which is great and it, it, it helps the league it helps the club it makes the games feel bigger so yeah, the Coleraine would be one that would certainly be certainly be a fan base that I would applaud, especially in terms of their numbers and their travelling now. Definitely. And Northern Irish football's on the up, guys. I mean, look, some teams have had some great results in Europe, um, wins in Maribor and, and places like that. Do you know, as I said to Dr. Grant Campbell when he came on the show last time, I said about like give Northern Irish football a chance. You ever over there, take in a game, go to go to a game and see what it's like. Um, I went to Glenarvan. Is, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, you are. Yeah, Glenarvan, yeah. Perfect, because I, I, I originally felt Glenavon. Um, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I went over there with, to watch Hearts play them in a friendly and I, I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the, I loved the ground. The ground was brilliant and the bar was great. And, you know, I really liked it. I really liked uh, Lurgan as a little town, you know. It's quite friendly. Um, so give it a chance, guys, if you, you're ever over there. Darren, talking about all these teams from the country and Stuff like that. What would you say, travelling away with Crusaders is your favourite away ground? I'm not talking about in Europe or whatever, solely in the Irish Premier League or the Danske Bank Premiership, as it's called. Um, what's your fav- What's your favourite away grounds that you've been to? Um, if you've got any, any good stories or funny stories, mate, from travelling away with Crusaders, you fire on as well and tell us. There's quite a few. Um, I always like... Always like Balna Mallard away. Now the reason why that it, it, it's it's about two and a half hours away, two hours away. It could be a little bit more than that actually. But the reason why I like that is you go down all these little country roads, these little windy roads that think you're going to nowhere, and that's why the trip takes so long because you're not on the motorway, you're on these little country roads. But the good thing with that is you get you get the supporters bus down. Everyone's on the bus. Everyone's in a good time. They've been relegated now, sadly, but everyone's buzzing because you stop somewhere on the way down, you have your pint, you have your drink, you have your food, and you leave nice and early in the morning, you make a bit of a day off it, you go to the game, and then you come home and it's a great day out. And provided it's not, you know, around sort of December to February time, their pitch is really nice. They have a nice little small ground. It's a very, very small town, very country town. The food's good down there. 
Um, Dungannon is another ground that I like. I like the small ground feel. I like the local feel of it. It's all local players. It's way out in the country, about another maybe about 45 minutes, maybe maybe an hour from Belfast. Um, Dungannon, and it has the best burger van in the league, in my opinion. Um, a few of my mates will listen to this and disagree with that, but I'm... I'm serious about the burger van at Dungannon is tremendous. Um, one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite trips was in the All Ireland Championship in 2012's Tanta Cup. It's no longer running, but this is Tanta Cup between the R League, the Danske Bank Premiership, and the League of Ireland. Um, they had a bit of a joint competition, and we played Sligo away. And at that time, Sligo were one of the best teams on the island. Probably would have been the best team, or if not, in the top two. And we managed to get a result at home in the first leg, 2-0 in the semi-final. And I remember going down to Sligo away by myself, driving down. And the match was brilliant. Our current goalkeeper, Sean O'Neill, is nuts. Brilliant crack. But I think he was injured at the time. So he was in the stand and he was the one leading all the singing, um, encouraging the fans to get up and sing and shout and get on. And we managed, we drew two, I think it was two, they won 2-0. And then on the extra time, our captain, who actually scored the two goals in the final to take it the extra time. <laughs> he scored an extra time in that the for us the the game extra after extra time finished two one to Sligo and we went through three two and away goals after being absolutely battered. Um for that match and then driving home, you know, it was maybe 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and the time you get home, one o'clock in the morning, <laughs> two, two o'clock in the morning. Just just a brilliant, brilliant trip. And to go on and win that trophy was huge. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoy those those trips especially. I like sort of the getting out of the city and getting down to the country. Yeah, um, mate, it's all, it's all about the away days, man. I thought I, I've based my whole football and supporting life around away days. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't you can't beat them. Home games are just they just seem like a chore. No, oh, I got to go there again this week. But the away days, <laughs> <laughs> all meeting. Up. All meeting up at stupid stupid times in the yeah. morning, you know. Crates of beer. Yeah, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. Bring it back. I can't wait for it to come back. Um, that's the Tanta Cup. I vaguely, vaguely remember it. So you went on to the final. Who did you beat in the final, and where where was it played? So I, 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 vague, very. This is very vague. I might be wrong, guys. Put please put me right. Um, if I am wrong, I vaguely remember. There's a massive uproar. Because we had it in the press over here in the media, I think Limfield played Shamrock Rovers in that competition, and um, and yeah, you can imagine. Yeah, I'm not going to go into detail, but um, I think I think that was the same competition. Yeah, it would have been. Um, I just don't know if it was that year or not. It might have been the same year. I can't remember, but I know we played Derry City in the final, and they sort of rotated the final. So if it was held in the Republic of Ireland one year or in a League of Ireland club one year at the following year it would be held in a Danske Bank Premier League sort of grind up, up in Northern Ireland but it also depended on who got to the final so if two League of Ireland teams two teams from Dublin perhaps got to the final they wouldn't hold it in Belfast that would be silly they would just do it in Dublin it was usually if there was a team from each league or each body made the final um, is when they rotated the the, the final and um that particular year, it was Northern Ireland's turn to host. Um, Derry City made the final, London Derry or Derry, depending on your point of view of what the city is called. But Derry City made the final and uh, they led Fint to that final. 
Um, and very feisty, very, very feisty tie over two legs. Now, I know there's some really actually good highlights of that on YouTube. Um, very famous scene of the Linfield manager storming across the pitch with the Derry City fans, you know, hanging over the walls and the, the railings screaming and he's storming off the pitch, you know, shouting it. It was, a, it was a very, very tasty tie, but the week before that final was actually the Irish Cup final. And we went into that. We actually had a very good league run. We went about 13, 14 games winning in a row. And out of nowhere, we're in a title chase. And it came down to two games before the end. Linfield came to save you. We were three points behind and they beat us 1-0 and went on to win the league. But we had them in the Irish Cup final. And I thought, right, okay, we didn't win the league, but let's be embarrassed in that final. Um, the 4-1, and it could have been the Satanta Cup coming. You know, I remember going into that game, go very, very nervous, very apprehensive, thinking if, if Linfield put four past this last week, our mentality is going to be shot. Like, we're going to get smashed here. Derry City are a full-time team. We're a semi-pro team at this point and going into that one. But yeah, that, that final was probably one of the biggest moments in our history, to be honest, given where we were at the time. Definitely, mate. Um, the glory is, so to speak. But will those glory years come back, Darren? How how do you see the next five years panning out for Crusaders? Um, now, I, I, look, again, guys, I, I vaguely look at the the table the Irish Premiership now and again I don't think Limfield have got that that's that stranglehold of it on the league anymore where do you see Crusaders in the next five years how do you see the progression of the club at the minute can you have those big nights in Europe so. again um, with everything and we talked about it with Northern Ireland there is an end of an era and you know for a club like Crusaders in the last in the last decade we've won We've won a League Cup, we've won a Cup, two Irish Cups, we've won three or four County Antrim Shields, we've won three league titles. It's been the, the most successful decade in our club's history. You know, we've been able to get teams like Wolves in the Europa League, we've been able to get Fulham in the Europa League, we've had Copenhagen twice, I think. Um, you know, we've had some big, big games at Seaview competitively. We've had an All-Ireland triumph in there as well. And we done quite well. And I think it was the Scottish Challenge Cup a few years ago. We got beat in the semi-final. Um, so we've done very, very well. Um, but a lot of those players who have been there, who have been the bread and butter of the club, who've came up through the club, through the youth system, um, through our under-18s and so on, they've begun to move on or they've been, or they've retired or they're mostly a sub now. And there's a bit of a rebuild going on. Um our top goal scorer, Jordan Owens. I think he's on, I think he is on um Campbell's one. Our goalkeeper's in his thirties. Declan Cadell's in his thirties. Philip Laurie's thirty, I believe. Billy Joe Burns, one of the major catalysts in propelling us from challengers to champions, coming in from Linfield all those years ago. I think it was twenty fourteen he came in. Thirties now, so there's a bit of an aging squad there. We have tried to freshen it up. We have brought some younger players in. There is a bit of a transition period, but also saying that there's still enough quality and there's still enough quality in the squad to be pushing on our day in a cup game at any given time to beat anyone in the league. But with all that being said, the, the last year's top six will all be very... And it's, it's great for the league. But hopefully those those good times come back to see you. Saying all that, there's also league who are doing very, very well, who are recruiting very well, who are playing very well. And it's going to be tough.
as the leagues become more competitive, which is great in terms of fan numbers. Not so great in terms of just the finishing in the top three all the time and getting Europe, and all of a sudden you. So there's there's ups and downs to the league being stronger, more ups than downs, but um, it'll be an interesting season. A um, bit of rebuild going on, bit of a rehash, bit of a. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. I'm hopeful. You know, it's not it's not done by any means. No, it sounds sounds promising, and you know all the all the teams are coming up together in that league now, so it's going to be a lot more competitive in the future. It's all good for Northern Irish football. Quick question for you: I heard Crusaders have got a celebrity fan now. This guy is one of my uh, sporting heroes in the last five years. I heard a certain. A certain Mr. Carl Frampton is a Crusaders fan, Darren. Is, rumor is, that is true? correct. Is the rumor he appears correct? every year at Seaview to buy his new shirt. Um, when when he when he's available, when he doesn't have something on, or you know, when you're an elite level professional, there's always something on. But when when there's not something on, you you would act celebrity fans from a distance. He turns up. He watches the games when he can. He buys the merchandise. Um, yeah. A Crusader supporter all his life. He's from just up the road from memory serves me well. He was either on trial or playing for Crusaders as a kid. Quite a good player in his day. And I think he decided that there'd be more money in boxing. He decided quite rightly. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's a bit of a, bit of a little background on, on uh, Carl. Yeah. Um, sorry for calling him a celebrity. It does seem like. Uh... One of the boys. Sorry, Carl. I know he's not going to listen to this, but uh, <laughs> you never know. Um, Darren, you've got your own podcast, mate, um, called the Potscast. Um, I've I've appeared on there a couple of times. I, I'm glad to say I thoroughly enjoyed my time on there, and I still thank you for inviting me on and having me on there. If you just tell our listeners um, what your podcast is all about and where yep, to find you can you. find me on um, at the Pots. P-O-T-T-S-C-A-S-T. Um, but it's very sports-based. A lot of local Irish league chats, some Irish players. Um, we got some MMA guys coming on, as that's a huge um, aspect of my life that I love, is watching MMA. So I've got a couple of them. Let's, I would maybe just type the sports and lifestyle stories chat. We usually batter West Ham. So if you're a West Ham fan, you probably don't want to listen. All fun and games, and um, it's just a hobby of whenever it started, and it was something I thought might help me with my mindset. As as we all probably struggled in some capacity, I felt it would be a lot more fun to do stuff like this and chat and talk and debate and have a laugh about football and stuff in my life which I just enjoy, rather than putting my feet up and watching Netflix for five hours a day. No, I totally agree with you, mate. Um, look, because I was a a chef, but as I told you before, but um, some of our listeners don't know, I was a chef before the pandemic hit, um, doing quite well. It was actually worked for myself and all sorts and it hit and I just went to pot and I thought, I was, months later, I thought, I can't just sit around doing nothing. What am I, what do I, what's, what do I care about? Oh, sport. What do I like doing? Talking a lot. Right. Okay. Let's put two and two together <laughs> and let's make a podcast, you know, and I've, I've been doing it since. So, Yeah. It's a great, it's, it's a great thing to do, guys. You can find the podcast. Uh, it's Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, Twitter at the podcast, and and Dan's also on Instagram as well. Darren, thank you very much for coming on tonight. I know you, you know you're busy, mate. You said you're on your lunch break. 
So I've caught you at the right time. Um, apologies for last night as well. We've had to move this back um, 24 hours. Uh, but thank you for coming on and, and telling us about the about the cruise, as they're called, in Northern Ireland and giving our listeners a bit of insight into Northern Irish football. Um, great to have been you on, mate. Welcome an absolute pleasure um, to have to be on your show. Uh, as you've mentioned, you, I've had you on mine. I love talking to you. I love how you talk about football. I love your passion. It's been an absolute pleasure to be on your show as a regular listener to your show. I love you in football. You do the football chats. Love it. Just keep up the good, good work. It's very, very enjoyable. And um, yeah, thanks once again. And I hope that anyone listening and they they do want to know a little bit of stuff like that, just think a bit of a throwback in terms of football. And I think that's why it's so universally loved compared to the product we see on mainstream TV. <laughs> Oh, totally. Um, I, I mean, I watched England last night and it was, I know England are looking a great side now. I know things, you know, this is, this is us England fans, isn't it? Moan when it's good and moan when it's bad. Now I'm moaning because all the, the possession-based football is boring. When it's the best England team I've seen, I should be, I should be like jumping for joy, but I'm not. I want to see blood and thunder. I want to see kick and chase. I, I love that sort of, it's the sort of football I grew up with in the early 90s. I totally agree where you're coming from not just saying all Northern Irish football's kick and chase there's a lot of skill involved as well a lot of skillful players a lot of good players so there you go guys um, guys we are back next week we have got <laughs> we have got red card Roy McDonough coming on the show next week the most red cards in English football history he holds the record ex Southend United legend so that's close to my heart so that's why I love to love Love to announce that he's coming on the show, so to speak. Um, I can't wait to interview him. He's got a book out, uh, Sex, Booze and Red Cars. <laughs> it's, the guy's an absolute character. I cannot wait to have him on. And we're also interviewing as a fan guest feature, Charles Hoy from Derby for his love of following Derby County home and away. So that's on next week. Then we've got a really busy schedule after that. Find us on Twitter at Cathedral underscore sport. We are available to listen on spotify anchor google and apple Podcasts. guys have a great weekend thank you very much for listening in darren have a great weekend man thanks very much for coming on great weekend